Alright, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host. Thank you all very much. Let's get this bit out of the way. Please, subscribe, follow, whatever the, the particular podcast platform you are on, whatever function it has. If you have an ability to like this particular episode, please do so. If you only have a chance to review the entire show, please give us a review for whatever you think the show is worth. I I don't know about five stars, but I'm definitely worth more than one. <laughs> so wherever else it falls into that particular... Uh, on that scale for you, I leave that entirely up to your individual discretion. So thank you very much for all of that. Uh, nice to get that out of the way. Okay, on the agenda this evening... Last night, UFC on ESPN 21. That was a card. And that it happened. Oh, boy. Uh, we'll go through all of that. This coming week, we have a big pay-per-view, even though it lost the co-main event. Oh, that sucks. That sucks so hard. Uh, UFC 260. The rematch between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. Uh, how that look now that we lost that? Eh, it's still a pretty good card. I mean, I was really looking forward to that featherweight fight, but uh, again, we'll, we'll get to the specifics in a bit. It's it's still a solid card. I'm not complaining about it. And then news, because as I mentioned last week, there's a gnarly habit of news breaking. This is why everyone waits until Monday, right? Why no one does it on Sunday, not just because people don't usually work on the weekends, but this also gives the UFC a chance to make any Monday announcements that they're going to make, and so everyone on you know, reacting early Monday will have access to that information. I don't. I do this Sunday evening uh, because of history at this point, actually. I could do it whenever I want to. <laughs> Let me know, actually, if you guys don't mind. You can find me on Twitter at WinfreeMMA. If you'd like this to go on, if you'd like a different time for this to be released uh, you know, let me know. I'm I'm amenable to potentially altering that a little bit. Just a thought. Uh, if you're fine listening to it Monday mornings, then, hey. I, I mean, if you don't care, then I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I'm a creature of habit. But we had a bunch of fights announced. Two in particular. Uh, two in particular. That'll be Those will be fun to kind of talk about. And, yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, so, anyway, that's what's on the agenda. Uh, yeah, uh, so with that in mind, lost my transition thought there, let's move on to UFC on ESPN 22, 21, not 22. All right, this event had some setbacks. Ah, jeez, when do we want to start with this? Uh, at the weigh-ins, we lost a women's strawweight fight, I want to say strawweight, uh, between, what was bantamweight? Yeah, Bant I'm pretty sure it was Bantamweight. Between uh, Julia Stoliarenko and Julia Avila. Uh, that fell apart when Stoliarenko fainted on the scale. <laughs> and then fainted right after making weight. Uh, yeah. You gotta manage that weight cut, guys. You just uh, I know everybody and their dog, whenever this happens, come out, comes out and goes, Abolish weight cutting. You can't. And don't give me that one crap. Like, oh, one, one fixed it. No, no, they didn't. There is no evidence to support that particular claim from one. That doesn't stop one from making a bunch of claims, but that one in particular, people seem to latch on to. 
I'm not saying that what they're doing isn't a good thing. I'm saying their claim that they fixed weight cutting is utterly unsupported. It would have to be, you know, evidence to support the claim. As it stands, it's just a claim. Uh, as long as there are weight classes, there's going to be weight cutting. And this is not me saying we should abolish weight classes, by the way. This is an acknowledgement that this is a feature, not a bug. You, as a fighter, have to figure out where you're, you have to be responsible, and you have to figure out where you're going to compete. And then you have to make the necessary lifestyle changes to accommodate that. Or, you go a bit more the boxing route and you introduce more weight classes. I've said before, more weight classes is not going to fix weight cutting. It isn't. Boxing boxing doesn't have the same problem with weight cutting that MMA does, if you look at it that way. But boxers cut weight. Uh, some of them, a lot of it. Depending on where they're choosing to fight. So it not, wouldn't fix it. You might reduce instances of this. Uh, especially especially long term. You might get more short term. A bunch of guys going, eh, I can cut three... I can cut, you know, another three pounds... To get down to the you know, kind of half weight class or cut another five instead of the 10 pounds separating them. You know, how many guys who fight at 145 right now would go, you know, I, I cut a fair amount of weight to make 145, but 140, I think I can still cut enough to reach it. You'd get those people. Heck, you might get Volkanovsky doing that in all honesty. So for every big bantam weight that's like, you know, 135 is a killer cut. Oh, one four, but I'm too small at 145. Oh, 140. Thank you. This is great. You'd have a few people that were that start overcutting. It's just how that works. It's it's just a feature. Again, this is not a bug. It's just about how you have. It's then there is no fixing it. Now, don't let people cut weight. Make them walk into the. Make them, you know. Fight at what they walk around at. You gonna spend the money to have someone monitor these people? Think the UFC is going to? No, you just have to. Ex you just kind of have to accept that it's a feature, and do what you can to make sure it's done safely. Whether we're currently doing everything we can to ensure that it is done safely is another matter for discussion. But you're never gonna quote unquote fix it. It 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 can't be fixed. There's nothing to. There's nothing to fix from a system approach. There are weight classes. People are going to try and either gain or lose weight to maximize their chances of performing at the best level. That's kind of the long and the short of that, and there is no getting around it. So we lost that one. Uh, right before the event started, we lost the fight I was looking forward to the most on this card, actually. Uh, between, a fight between Brad Riddell and Gregor Gillespie was called off. There were some uh, COVID protocols. I forget who it was. I don't think they mentioned it, actually. Um, so, yeah, we lost that. They're, I think they're planning on trying to reschedule it. It's a good fight. I was very much looking forward to that. So, lost a couple of fights. We, as far as the results go... Main event, Derek Brunson defeats Kevin Holland via unanimous decision, 49-45 and 249-46, as I was 49-46. This fight would have been right at home in MMA uh, 15 years ago. Go back to, you know, like 07-ish, so that's less than 15, obviously, but 
Go back to the 0708, and somebody gets a takedown and hangs out in full guard for three and a half minutes. A lot of that. A lot of that. Uh, Holland just couldn't reliably stop the takedown. He did okay, but he did get taken down, and then once he got taken down, he was not very good about getting up. That's a big, big problem. Uh, and Brunson was just willing to stay uh, very, very committed to the to his path of victory. And ultimately, it did, it did win for him, so, you know, good on him, I guess. Brunson said he'd like to fight Paulo Costa. I don't have any technical stuff about this fight. I, I just don't. It wasn't that interesting. It existed. That's all I've got. Uh, Brunson, after the fight, said, you know, he'd like to fight Paulo Costa. Costa pulled out, and I think we talked about this last week. If not, I'll do it now. Costa pulled out of his fight with Robert Whitaker. So Whitaker's fighting Kelvin Gastelum now. Uh, that event, that's going to take place. I forget exactly at which event. At some point in the future. Uh, I don't hate Costa and Brunson. I mean, Costa's got to get back on the horse some way. And Brunson's now, what, four in a row? This was four. This is either four or five in a row for him. Four. And he's he's beaten some decent guys. I mean, that four-fight stretch is Elias Theodoru, Ian Heinish, Edmund Shabazian, and Kevin Holland. Theodoru not with the promotion anymore. Heinish is still kicking around and maybe not top 15 guy, but certainly a stiff test. Shabazian was supposed to be, a, you know, the next big thing, and Brunson put paid to that. And kind of ditto Holland. Holland was on a, you know, five-fight winning streak, I think. He went 5-0 in 2020, so he might have been six overall. Confirm that real fast. Uh, no, 5-0. and Yeah, because he lost his one... He lost in 2019. So, again, he was on a five-fight winning streak uh, for those finishes. And a couple of those solid wins. So, I, I'd be okay, again, I'd be okay with Brunson and uh, Paulo Costa. I, I don't have a better idea for either man, to be quite honest with you. Uh, you know, some of that's contingent on how soon Paulo Costa is going to be willing, uh, able. And he's the one that pulled out. How soon he's able to get back into the cage... But, I mean, you got what? Jared Cannonier and Darren Till still hanging around. Till's got a fight coming up. Who is Till fighting? I forget who Till's fighting. He's fighting Marvin Vittori. So, you got those two tied up. Uh, Brunson currently sitting at seven. That will probably be updated. He might scoot over Jack Hermanson to number six after this. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. I mean, I mean yeah, Costa's got to get back on the horse at some point. And, I mean, this particular fight isn't going to endear Brunson to either the fan base or UFC management, but uh, you might still be, you could probably still make that fight. Uh, yeah, it, again, wasn't not a whole lot to say about the fight. Uh, next up, Max Griffin knocked out Song Kanan 220 of the first round with punches. Hoob. Boy, uh, nice finish from Griffin. Tags Kanan with a uh, song. Family name is Song. Tags Song with a straight right. Backs him into the fence. Clobbers him with a one-two. He's out as he hits the ground. Uh, Griffin might finally be finding a bit of consistency. The man's been really up and down in the UFC up to this point. 
Um, he debuted. He's he debuted getting TKO'd by Colby Covington. Had a couple of losing streaks. Had never won consecutive fights in the UFC. Finally does here. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's mid-ish level UFC welterweights. I I don't have a whole lot there. Women's strawweight, uh, Montserrat Ruiz, or Superfair Canejo, didn't she? Yeah, she... I don't know, that, that's weird. Like, she was going by Canejo in uh, the UFC's promoting her that way. I don't know if that was just a choice on her part or not. Uh, anyway. She defeated Cheyenne Bays via split, uh, excuse me, unanimous decision. 229-28-129-27. This fight was painful. Uh, Ruiz would get a headlock, that, that, that like headlock head and arm throw, right? The one every female fighter was doing for years and years. We've only finally started getting away from it. And that's all this woman had. They'd tie up. She'd grab that. She'd roll forward into the scarfold position or the, what is it in judo or jujitsu? The, uh, ah, oh, what do they call it? Ah, I, I. Kisuragami? No, that's a that's a weapon. It's something like that. Uh, I'm going to have to look that up now because it's going to bother me until I remember. Kesagatami, that's it. Kesagatami, okay. Uh, she would get there and then would just hold it. And Baze is like kind of trying to reach around with her legs to take the back. and she Baze had no answer for the position. She wasn't attacking the headlock. She wasn't trying to force that off and get her head free. She just was kind of there. And <laughs> Ruiz didn't have anything other than a, a kind of gimmicky arm bar that she attempted once. But other than that, she's just kind of holding on there. Like, all right, you're going to give me something. I'm going to land these little... It, it, ugh. This was dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Cut the both of them. Neither of them were ready for the UFC. Uh, bantamweight fight. Adrian Yanez. Ooh. Knocks out Gustavo Lopez, 27 seconds of the third. Good fight, actually. Uh, Yanez was... Once he got dialed in, he picked Lopez apart. He was constantly splitting his timing, constantly landing good punches when Lopez was trying to come in. I mean, the entire finishing sequence was Yanez pawing with a jab just to bait a reaction, knowing what Lopez is going to do, and then, like, throwing the right hand in anticipation of it. I. Uh, Really, really nice thing. Yanez is a very, very slick uh, fighter on the feet. Uh, he he could be a problem at bantamweight. This is, I think, two in a row for him in the UFC. Uh, the other one ended via head kick. He's someone to pay attention to. He's he's young. He might not pan out, but uh, he looked good here, man. He looked real good. And kicking off the main card, Tai Tuivasa defeated Harry Hunsucker via TKO, 49 seconds of the first round. This was supposed to be Tuivasa and Dontel Mays. Uh, Mays fell out like four days out of the event. Uh, reasons undisclosed. It, whatever. I, I can't. I'm sorry, guys. I can't get. I just can't get interested in that fight. As for the prelims, Macy Chesson defeated Marion Renault via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Decent fight. Uh, Shesson got stronger as the fight went on. Uh, she's, she's, she's still got some potential. She's got stuff to iron out, but 
Uh, this was a decent little fight. Grant Dawson knocked out Leonardo Santos with hammer fists, 459 of the third. Buzzer beater from Dawson. He's on top of Santos. He stands up, postures up. Santos goes to kind of play for a leg entanglement. Unfortunately, his right foot never really offsets the left leg of Dawson. And that's kind of important here because you need to stop the guy above you from being able to set his feet and generate power. He wasn't able to really attack that far leg, so Dawson gets set and drops bombs on him to knock him out. Really nice finish from Dawson. Uh, that's Santos's first loss in the UFC. Uh, Dawson, seemed, uh, this was his lightweight debut. He seems to indicate he wants to stick around in this weight class, so... He's got some stuff to work out. He struggled. He struggled in this fight pretty hard. I had it even going into the third. But a lot of what he was doing at featherweight that he was able to kind of... Positions he was kind of able to get through based on raw physical strength or size. He is not a very big lightweight uh, in terms of height. So he's, he's going to have to iron out his technique. But this was an impressive finish. Uh, Trevin Giles defeated Roman Delice via unanimous decision. 29-28. Uh, no real controversy here. Uh, I don't even remember all that much about this. Delitzsche kept trying to get uh, get this to the ground, and when he did, he just still struggled a little bit. To, he kept rolling for leg locks <laughs> instead of trying to really kind of... And that's this is not to say that you can't methodically go for leg locks. You can. It's a lot harder to do so in MMA. And he wasn't. He was kind of going for those, uh, I wouldn't say willy-nilly, but he didn't really establish a lot of positional control on most of them. He had one decent knee bar attempt in the second, I think. But he just didn't really, wasn't able really to get going like that. Uh, Montel Jackson defeated Jesse Strader via TKO, 158 of the first. Strader took this on short notice and was just overmatched. Jackson just kind of beat him up until that was done. And kicking everything off, Bruno Silva defeated J.P. Bays uh, via TKO 256 of the second. Bays never really seemed to get going in this fight. And Silva just kept cracking him. The finish was Bays sitting a little bit back on his heels, throwing a telegraphed jab, and Silva countering him with a right over the top of it. Dropped him, pounded him out, uh... Yeah, Silva, this was all Silva, basically, from start to finish. So, a nice, in theory, shorter event. It started later, still ran pretty long, but that's kind of the nature of the UFC events. But, uh, yeah, nothing, I mean, nothing great, but only a handful of things that were really kind of downers. Unfortunately, a couple of those did take place on the main card, and one of them was the main event. <laughs> And a downer main event is always going to leave you a little bit down on the whole experience. Uh, as for the post-fight bonuses, if you care, your performances of the night went to Max Griffin, Adrian Yanez, Grant Dawson, and Bruno Silva. I don't take issue with any of that. Uh, kind of surprised they... They don't give fight of the night as often anymore. Uh, which I think is kind of... I don't know... It, it lets somebody else who won get a little bit more, but it kind of hurt. Who did hurt here? I mean, the last event, I think the Edwards and Muhammad one, I was really surprised there were a couple of fights that could have gotten fight of the night, and they just kind of went, nah. 
bunch of individual performances. Because, you know, we prioritize finishes. And if you have a fight of the night, that usually goes long, and we'd really like to save that for special fights, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the UFC's thinking as far as that goes. Um, maybe there wasn't anyone here. Maybe Lopez. You could have given fight of the night to Yanez and Lopez, but then you'd have you would have doubled up Yanez, or you wouldn't have given it to somebody else. I don't know. Again, there's it's just a little bit odd that they've kind of gotten away from that as much as they have. Anyway, that was UFC on ESPN 21. So thanks to anyone who did read before or after the um, you know, live or after the fact. I appreciate every bit of support you guys can give me as far as that goes. All right, let's move on. UFC 260. Uh, let's start with the sad news. We lost the featherweight title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. They announced this on the broadcast last night. Uh, it turns out. I think it was Volkanovski who said he tested positive for COVID. Uh, if you believe Volkanovski's statement, and I have no reason to disbelieve him in this instance, especially because everything he's talking about can be documented. He tested negative when he and his team flew out from Australia. He tested negative when he landed here in the United States. He tested negative going into the UFC bubble. Bear in mind, bubble in this in this case is in heavy, heavy air quotes. And then just the last one he had came back positive. Uh, really sucks. Really sucks. Hope they reschedule that one. They plan to reschedule it. Um, hopefully it's not a. Hopefully it's more kind of an asymptomatic thing, and Volkanovski is you know not sick. Man, if he gets it, the UFC does not like. He usually does not like Volkanovski as champion, I don't think. They put no effort into promoting him. Uh, there was almost no promotion of those two for this card. I mean, you can look back with hindsight and go, well, it's good they didn't spend a ton of money on it because the fight's not happening there. But you want to promote your title fights. Every bit of the promotion around this event had centered entirely on Miocic and Ngannou, and it was, you know, as an afterthought, oh yeah, that Volkanovski guy. You know, the one who beat Max Holloway twice. And yeah, I know a lot of you think he didn't the second time, so we're not going to put a lot of effort behind him. Uh, if he actually gets sick and comes down with COVID for a while, they might just strip him. The uh, UFC's highly arbitrary when it comes to stuff like that. And again, they don't... They would much rather Max Holloway be champion, I think. If I had to guess. So we lost that fight. Again, hopefully it's not... Uh, too serious a case of COVID for Volkanovski, and we can get that rebooked. All right, your main event is still intact at the moment, knock on wood. Stipe Miocic, heavyweight champion, best heavyweight champion in UFC history, one of the all-time great heavyweights. Where you rank him specifically on that list, subject to hot debate, as all lists like that are. Battling Francis Ngannou. Ngannou on a... Four-fight winning streak, all of them finishes. Knocked out Blades, knocked out Velasquez, knocked out JDS, knocked out Jarzinho Rosenstreich. Uh, been out of action for about a year. I think he wound up deliberately kind of sitting out until the Stipe thing. Stipe and uh, Cormier had their trilogy fight. That was in August, so yeah, he just kind of waited that out, I think. Um... 
Yeah, Miocic, again, an, an all-time great heavyweight, especially if you look at his resume. He's beaten pretty much everybody. <laughs> uh, coming off, he beat Daniel Cormier in consecutive fights. He's on his second title reign, all things considered. Already has one successful title defense under his belt. Holds the record for most consecutive defenses of the UFC heavyweight title at four. Uh, sorry, three. He has four total defenses. Three in a row. <laughs> he got to three in a row before Cormier knocked him out. Uh, I'm torn on this fight for the following reason. I don't really know what's going to be different. What, what is different about this fight from their first one? And I mean that in the following ways. I know time has passed. I know both men have worked on their skills. Neither of these men are stupid. They both wish to improve. They both train very hard. I just have no... I said it last time. There's plenty of reason... I might even, I might even have picked Francis last time. I'd have to double-check. Uh, and I don't care enough to double-check about that. But I'm pretty sure at a bare minimum I would have said this. Because it was true then, it's true now. I will not be surprised if Francis Ngannou wins. There are plenty of reasons to believe him capable of winning this fight. He's a very, very powerful puncher. Maybe the hardest puncher the UFC's ever had. I mean, forget the nonsense that the UFC was peddling about how hard... About, you know, trying to... Trying to quantify how hard he hits. That stupid soundbite about Dana, like... Yeah, getting hit by him is like getting hit by a... What was it, like a Ford Escort or something going at top speed? Like, no. I would much rather be punched by Francis Ngannou than hit by a car. Shouldn't take much to realize how stupid that sounds. Because you can't just say he might be the hardest puncher we've ever seen. Because you view... The UFC has overused hyperbole to the point that when it's appropriate to use a superlative... It doesn't actually mean anything because of how frequently they've overused superlatives. It's ridiculous. You can't just say he, Francis Ngannou might be the hardest puncher we've ever seen. Because he might be. I tend to think he is. <laughs> I mean, look at what he's done to people. He knocks them out cold. And in brutal fashion. <laughs> but you can't just say that. Now you have to come up with non... Like, that was the other thing. Like, they said... Dana was like, he, he measured however many thousand units... Like, what are units? If you... Force is... Force is calculated in a very specific way, man. You have a specific... Quantify... Uh, you have a specific quantity that it's discussed in. But no, you couldn't actually say that because then someone would call you on your bullshit math. <laughs> so just... No, no, units. It's what our machine measures. Really? What kind of units? Units. Not, you know, Newtons. Which is how forces usually generate. Is how uh, you do you use newtons for torque. I have to confirm this. Measurement of force. I'm pretty. Yeah, it is newtons. So we couldn't say how many newtons they used. <laughs> I'm pretty, uh, but yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. Just, well, Newton's a specific measurement of force. It's how much force is required to accelerate one kilogram at a, one kilogram of mass at a specific rate. But 
that's uh, I mean the other thing you could do is like pounds of the other thing you could measure is pounds of uh, like psi on the punch because it still gets a little bit wonky depending on how big someone's hands are that'll and the differences in hand size will mess with that a little bit but you can still you know, quantify how much how many pounds of pressure there were applied to the surface but you would still list that as pounds of pressure per square inch but no just units <laughs> sorry I, I shouldn't rail against that like I did. It, it, it's just really stupid. Point being, I can believe Francis Ngannou can win this fight. Stipe's been knocked out before. He's taken Francis's punches before as well, but he has been stopped. And Francis is a certainly, again, certainly a big enough power puncher to do it. I'm, I have no evidence to believe that this fight will go all that differently than their first. It might, but I'm talking purely about evidence. I'm sure Francis Ngannou has worked on the things that Stipe exploited in their first fight. I would really hope he has, at least. If he hasn't, that would be a sign of a very, very stupid fighter. If someone audits your game, as Stipe did, and you find holes, which everyone could see, and you don't try to address them, that's a real problem. And I, I, and I don't think Francis has that kind of problem. I think he will have tried to work on those. I'm giving him the, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt at least. That doesn't, that's still, but he has not shown it. <laughs> no one's really done what Stipe did, which is weird, because what Stipe did was very repeatable, in some respects. Uh, Junior had a little bit of success with the jab which is one of the things Stipe did. He jabbed and he low-kicked, and he baited out the big counter motions from Nganu, got him to tire himself out, then got him down repeatedly with just some really nice single legs most of the time. And that's pretty clearly what he's going to try to do again. Now, he could still... Those same weaknesses could still be in Francis's game, and he could still land a hard enough punch to knock Stipe Miocic out and win the title. But I haven't seen him have to address those same... Uh, no one else has posed the same questions of Nganu that Stipe did, and he so he hasn't had to answer them. And I tend to assume the negative in the absence of evidence. I tend to assume that while he's worked on them, the underlying issues will still be present and potentially exploitable. There's also a degree to which Francis is never going to fix some of the problems that in got, that uh, Stipe exploited. Cardio being a big one. Uh, and look, I'm down on heavyweight cardio for a reason, because it's usually bad. This is counterbalanced by a bit of reality. Francis Ngannou is a 250-some-odd pound muscle-bound freak of nature. A freak of nature might be a bit of an exaggeration, but you get the point. Look at that man. He's not going to have the same cardio as someone who fights at 155 pounds. It's just unrealistic to expect him to do so. Now, it could be better than it was. It was really bad in their first fight. He had nothing after that first round. Yeah, I call it a round and a half. After that, he was he was dead. He was flat, plodding, and Stipe just kind of had his way with him. So I'm sure it's better than it was for that fight. I'm not so sure, but a uh, better way. 
there is a very clear ceiling on how good your cardio is going to be when you're that big. There, there's just biological barriers you're going to run into. <laughs> I've, we've not had, seen him have to deal with anyone who's pretty good about leg kicking him. We've not seen him have to deal with anyone who's good about drawing him out. That's the big thing Stipe did. He fainted him. He would jab and kick and then faint the jab, faint the kick, and Francis making bigger motions trying to counter faints. We're going to find out if he's fixed that problem, because if he's still overreacting to everything, Stipe is going to pick him apart kind of the same way he did. So as far as predictions go, I'm still picking Stipe. I'm not going to be surprised if Francis wins. There are ways he could win that would surprise me. But him winning is not going to shock me if he does. But I I just don't have evidence about him having dealt with the issues. There's some that are very easy to fix. Again, getting a little bit better on your cardio, and he's lost a little weight. I think he's slimmed down a bit, which will help. So his cardio is probably going to be better. I'm just not sure that what he that he's going to be able to address every every facet that Stipe was able to exploit. One of them might be... He might be able to address one of them, but addressing, you know, all of them over a full fight, I'm just not sold on that. So I'm still picking Stipe. Won't be surprised if Francis wins. But, yeah, yeah so that's your main event. Uh, if you like heavyweights, I'm sure you're looking forward to this one. I don't have a ton of emotional investment in that fight, but... It's a pretty good fight. Uh, let's see. So, again, we lost our co-main event. New co-main event, Tyron Woodley against Vicente Luque. Vicente Luque might finally get the respect he's due on his... Again, he's lost a grand total of three times in his entire UFC run, dropped his debut, went on a four-fight winning streak, lost to Leon Edwards, went on a, what, six-fight winning streak? Yeah, six-fight winning streak, lost to Steven Thompson, and has stopped his last two opponents, uh, Nico Price and Randy Brown. Now he's fighting former champion Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley, who's on a four-fight losing streak, three, sorry. He's on a three-fight losing streak and hasn't won since September of 2018. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, look, Woodley's just on the downside of it, right? He's, I mean, he's, he debuted in 2009 professionally. So he's been fighting for over 10 years. Uh, what was February of 2009, so a little over 12. He's 38, almost 39. He'll be 39 in April. And... He's had his injury issues. He's had his title run. I think he's just on the wrong side of his career. And I'm so I'm picking Luke here. This is kind of the last gasp for Tyron here. I mean, if you look at the other... Not to say that Luke is a scrub, right? Let me, let me preface everything with that. I just, I just went over how much I think Luke is underappreciated. Is he even ranked right now? Yeah, he's ranked 10th. For some reason, this man is ranked behind Tyron Woodley on a... Three-fight losing streak. Damian Maya, who's been out for a while and might be retired. Neil Magny. Uh, Lucas should be ranked higher than he is. 
he should be at least eight. I I just wanted to, so wanted to say. What I'm about to say, as far as this goes, is not to say that Luke is a scrub. But Woodley is lost in this losing streak to Kamaru Usman, champion, best welterweight on the planet. Gilbert Burns fought for the title, very highly regarded. Colby Covington, former interim champion, former title challenger. That's, like, definitively the top three guys in the weight class between champion and the next two contenders. If you're only losing to those three, you might still be able to carve out a bit of a career for yourself. If you're losing to someone further down in the top ten, like Luke, you've got some pretty serious things to consider. Uh, so, and especially at almost 39 years old, he's 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 nearing the end. So picking Luke. Uh, moving on, Sean O'Malley, bantamweight. Sean O'Malley and Thomas Almeida. Interesting fight here. O'Malley coming off of that first professional loss when he was TKO'd by Marlon Vera. Thomas Almeida. Guy we had some hopes for at one point. Unfortunately, he's 1-4 and four in his last five and is on a three-fight losing streak. He, this is kind of do or die for him. And given his defensive liabilities relative to Sean O'Malley's, unless he just tears into O'Malley with leg kicks very, very early... And O'Malley doesn't address them. Uh, I won't be shocked. Uh, again, I won't be shocked if Almeida wins, but I feel okay picking O'Malley. And then Kama Worthy will fight Jamie Malarkey. I feel pretty good picking. Wor- this is a. This one is just probably going to be some kind of action brawl. Right, both these guys more known for that. Uh, yeah, I'll pick Worthy, but uh, wouldn't be shocked either way. We're, we're dealing with. We're dealing with the lower end of the lightweight division in the UFC, which will still produce some very, very enjoyable fights. But, I mean, lightweight even at the top has a lot of volatility, so don't be surprised at any kind of of, uh, outcome there. So, anyway, that's your main card at the moment. Only four fights, one title fight. It's it's certainly not a bad card on paper. Alright, as for the prelims, Alonzo Menafield will fight William Knight. Uh, those two gentlemen are both jacked to the gills. <laughs> uh, Menafield on a two-fight losing streak. And Knight, I believe he dropped his last fight. And these are two very, very... Uh, yeah, again, they're both physical specimens. No, Knight won his UFC debut. Yeah, he beat, he beat Alexa Kammer. Hmm. That one could go either way. Uh, both very, very, again, both powerful strikers. I'm going to lean Menafield, but uh, again, we're talking lower level light heavyweight, so who knows? Women's strawweight, Jessica Penne and Hannah Goldie. I'm okay picking Penne here. Goldie, I think she dropped her debut, right? Yeah, she lost to Miranda Granger. That's it. Penne's been off for a while, hasn't she? Some kind of serious injury, I want to say. I oh, know she had the USADA issue. Yeah, that's why she's been out. Because she hasn't fought since April of 2017. Uh, yeah, she got hit with a... 
<sighs> yeah, she got hit with a pretty weird... Uh, she got hit with a big suspension from USADA. She appealed it. They wound up kind of settling. But... Yeah, that's a long lay... A long layoff, man. April of 2017 on a three-fight losing streak. You know what? No, changing my mind. I'm going to go with Goldie. <laughs> Probably going to look stupid, but I'm going to do it. Uh, welterweight Abubakar Nurmagomedov against Jared Gooden. Uh, this particular Nurmagomedov lost his UFC debut to David Zavada. Gooden. This particular Gooden. Uh, oh, yeah, he got beat up by Alan Joban. Vaguely remember that fight. Hmm. Probably go with Nurmagomedov, but, yeah. Again, iffy. Could go either way. Early prelims. Modestus Bukowskis against Mikhail Oleksajuk. How dare you make me type out one of those names? <laughs> How dare you? Why would you do this to me? Why would you do that to me? Oh, that's mean. Uh, Bukowskis won his first UFC fight and then got... Oh, he got starched by Jimmy Crute. That was a gnarly loss. Oleksajic, by contrast, uh, had a decent run to start his UFC career, but then got choked out. He he's lost his last two by submission to Ovin St. Preux and Jimmy Crute. Hmm. Probably lean towards Mikowska. I'll lean towards Oleksajuk, actually. Not sold on that, but again, lower level light heavyweight. What do you want me to do? Women's flyweight, Jillian Robertson and Miranda Maverick. Um, Robertson lost to Tyler Santos. Non-trivial step up for Maverick. Uh, she's won her last, She won her UFC debut when she defeated uh, Liana Jojua via doctor stoppage. She broke her nose, I seem to recall. Well, looked like a broken nose. It wouldn't stop bleeding. And that's kind of what prompted that. That's a non true Again, that's a pretty big step up for her, actually. I'm going to lean towards Robertson, but... Again, would not be surprised either way. Featherweight fight Shane Young and Omar Morales. Morales coming off of that loss to Giga Chikadze. That was a rough fight for him. And then Shane Young, been a bit up and down in the UFC. Two and two. I'm actually going to lean towards Morales, but again, I'm not sold on that. And then kicking everything off, Marc-Andre Barriot against Abu Azaitar. Probably go with Azaitar there, actually. Barriot has been... He's just kind of been there, man. He hasn't won in the UFC yet. Three losses and then a no contest with Oscar Pijota. Whereas this particular Azaitar. Uh, won his UFC debut. Beat Vitor Miranda. He's been out for a while, though. That was in 2018. Huh. I'll still pick him. Because, Bar again, Barrio has just not been especially impressive. But that's kind of my logic there. Anyway, that is the full card, UFC 260. Uh, that's I will have coverage Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so please do stop by, say hello.
I always appreciate that. Alrighty, so we've got news. Let's jump into some news here. UFC 261 will be getting the three title fight treatment. Just announced, uh, This the UFC is going to be in... They'll be in Jacksonville, Florida for this one, and they're planning on having full attendance. Uh, again, this will be soon-ish, April, I think. And uh, our now the main event for the welterweight title, a rematch between champion Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal. Uh, these two fought on obscenely short notice. <laughs> uh, Usman wanted this fight, says he wants to put the nail in the coffin of Jorge Masvidal. Uh, definitively move on from that. Of course, Masvidal would like a rematch. He took the first fight on like a week's notice. So, yeah, 261 now with three title fights. Welterweight title fight, women's flyweight title fight, and the strawweight title fight. All three are good fights. Uh, I still favor Usman. I favored Usman the first time. I favor him now. I won't I said this last time, I won't be surprised if Masvidal wins. He's certainly a good enough fighter to do so. But uh, I don't like his chances. <laughs> Usman has looked like a real beast lately. But 261 has a, is set now to be a very, very good card, all things considered. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of these triple title fights, just because they tend to run long, but... I'm not going to complain about those. Uh, let's see. Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, this one. Oh, this particular bit of news. This bothered me for reasons I'm not entirely sure about. Uh, the UFC has finally acknowledged reality and taken the light their lightweight title away from Khabib Nurmagomedov. Um... Khabib was present for this last night of fights, um, and that's when he met with Lorenzo Fertitta, apparently, and just whatever they offered him, if they offered him something else, he said no. And Dana White finally came out and said, yeah, he's retired. Khabib was asked about this <laughs> at the event last night. and said, yeah, I always said I was retired. I don't know what Dana was saying, but I always said it. <laughs> Which echoes what any... Echoes the sentiment that anyone who paid attention to what Khabib was saying already knew. If you wanted to have a little bit of skepticism based around him retiring the night the, the night of the Gaethje win, I could see that because you know very emotional reaction, uh, you know very hard hard lead up to that camp, the loss of his father. If you wanted to have a little bit of skepticism in the moment, I think that was. Uh, potentially even warranted. We've seen a lot of, you know, professional. We've seen a lot of retirements in this sport that wind up just being hiatuses, which I, which is not the worst thing in the world if you need a break. But you know, when a couple of weeks later he was saying, "No, I'm retired. No, I'm retired. Really, I'm retired, guys. I'm retired," and the UFC was stubbornly refusing. They finally came around to reality. And Khabib is no longer the UFC lightweight champion. The title will be up for grabs in a fight at UFC 262, set for May 15th, between Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira. I, I don't want to sound like I'm down on this fight. That's a great fight. Who could object to that fight? 
That's a great fight. That's a very, very great fight. You've got, you know, I mean, Chandler came in and just knocked the stuffing out of Dan Hooker, which nobody does. He's been stopped, but not like that, not that quick. And you've got Oliveira on a long winning streak, who's been kind of toiling away in the UFC for a long time. Up and down in terms of wins and losses, up and down through weight classes. Finally seems to have it all, finally seems to be working it. Uh, you know, coming off that big win over Tony Ferguson. Like, I'm not objecting to that fight. I don't even necessarily object to that being for the title. But this leaves a couple of guys way out in the cold, most notably Dustin Poirier, who for my money is, in fact, the best lightweight on the planet, with Khabib out of the question. Now, he's not unbeatable, and when I say he's the best lightweight, I don't mean to say that no one can beat him. It's simply to say that I favor him over everyone else. I would favor him in a rematch with Justin Gagey. Wouldn't be shocked if Gagey won. I would favor him over Chandler. Wouldn't be shocked if Chandler won. I would favor him over Oliveira. A little bit heavily, actually, given how they match up stylistically, not a knock on Oliveira. There's other guys that I would favor Oliveira quite heavily over relative to Poirier. And, I don't know, it... it... Gagey seemed a little bit caught off guard by this. Uh, Poirier seems more focused on a trilogy fight with Connor, and here's my thing about this. I don't know the details of Dustin Poirier's contract with the UFC. I know that the, uh, for the most part, a UFC fighter does not get pay-per-view points unless they're a champion or have that specifically written into their deal. It is not a normal thing. So in most cases, for most people, you are presented a fight between Conor McGregor on pay-per-view or say, Michael Chandler for the title on pay-per-view, you're going to get the same money either way, unless you... And the title has more value in the sense that if you win the title, you get pay-per-view points because you are now the champion. That's the, the, that's the kind of standard contractual language the UFC has. Some people might negotiate... Again, there are, there are non-champion fighters who have negotiated for pay-per-view points, And there are champions who, uh, I know Demetrius Johnson did this. I think he's talked about it. He specifically had a higher base salary because he had pay-per-view points written out of his contract. Which might have been a smart move on his part because of how little the UFC, how little the UFC promoted him on pay-per-view. How little, and how little interest his title reign drew over the course of its lifetime. So, again, might have been a smarter decision for him. But, point being, there are exceptions, but that's kind of the general tenor. So, unless he has a... So, again, normally you would want to fight for the belt because it means more money for the fight after your champion. So, unless unless Dustin has that built into his contract at the moment, or, big or here, or the UFC wanted that title fight on the May 15th card, and for whatever reason, that date did not work for Poirier. If Poirier was offered the title fight on that date and turned it down for whatever reason, like, I don't care what reason he has as long as... I tend to think that given what he has done, if he was just excluded from that possibility, that is a horrible, horrible oversight. 
on the part of the UFC and frankly disrespectful to the best lightweight in the world. But again, if they offered him that fight for May and he said, no, May doesn't work for me, and the UFC wants that title fight, they want that belt back in circulation fairly quickly, you know, sometimes the sometimes the schedule does necessitate moves like this. So th- there's still a few things I would like to have sorted out uh, that I don't know the answers to yet, so I'm trying to temper my reaction <laughs> a little bit. But the UFC lightweight division will start moving on. I don't know what you do with... Let's see, you have Tony Ferguson fighting Benil Daryush. I don't know what you do with Justin Gagey. Uh... Saw the idea of maybe Gagey and Hooker, uh, which would be as close to the physical manifestation of the concept of violence as you could get in a metaphysical sense. I mean, good lord. But Hooker's on a bit of a couple of fight losing streak, and has been in some... I mean, he had a war with Poirier, then he just kind of got bludgeoned by Chandler. Uh, Big question about, you know, is that really what you want to do with that guy next? To just go, you know, Paul Felder, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, Justin Gagey. Like, dude, that is a murderer's row of talent. And and not a murderer's row in the sense that that's a lot of very talented guys. They are. But that's also a murderer's row in the sense that those guys are... <laughs> those guys might kill you with their bare hands. Those are violent, violent human beings. Uh... So you've got him, you've got Hooker kind of hanging around, you've got Poirier. Poirier probably angling for the McGregor trilogy. But the belt could be back in circulation, which is a good thing. And again, I'm not complaining about Chandler and Oliveira. That's a good fight. It's a very, very good fight. Uh, Michael Chandler, if he can't knock you out early, tends to rely on his wrestling. And Oliveira has a very active guard, so some of the dynamics there are... Very, very, again, they're very interesting to see play out. Oliveira's a little bit chinny, and Chandler swings sledgehammers. <laughs> that man will hit you and send you into the third row if he can. Uh, so, I, I don't object to the fight. A little bit surprised that Dustin's not involved in this, and I'm firmly of the opinion that at a bare minimum, Dustin and Connor, their most recent fight, should have been for an interim belt if the UFC was still going to be in denial about Khabib. Uh, so Poirier getting a little bit of the shaft here, but uh, some of that might have just been circumstantial necessity. Again, if if the UFC was like, okay, May, we're back into the UFC lightweight title, will be back into circulation, and Poirier said May does not work for me, then so be it. Sometimes the schedule doesn't work out. Uh, anyway, there's that. So, yeah, good to see the lightweight title back in circulation. Uh, and that the UFC has finally come around to the reality that all of us have been clued into for several months now. Most of us more or less took Habib at his word when he said he was retired. And then, you know, if we didn't initially, by the fourth iteration of that same question being asked and him giving the same answer to multiple outlets, uh, yeah, we, we kind of we picked up on the hint, guys. Alright, uh, last little bit of news here. TJ Dillashaw is back. He will meet Corey Sandhagen. They will main event uh, the May 8th card. That's uh, just a fight night. Um, sucks. For, look, Sandhagen was going to fight for the belt if Jan or Sterling had won decisively. 
Unfortunately, he kind of got screwed in that particular circumstance. We talked about that before. But, uh, yeah, again, it, it's unfortunate for him. That said, you couldn't have put Dillashaw back into a title fight right away. Uh, and this is not just about him, you know, cheating. It's also the layoff, also the division improving and moving on. The totality of circumstance would not really allow for him to be hot-shotted back into the title picture. That said, if he beats Corey Sandhagen, yeah, he should probably have next. Conversely, if Sandhagen beats Dillashaw, I mean, Dillashaw's only got the, what, two losses at bantamweight to Austin Sow and then Dominic Cruz? Uh, no, sorry, three, because he lost the John Dodson fight very early in his time in the UFC, in his UFC debut, actually. I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm going to confirm that very briefly. Uh, yeah, Dodson, Austin Sal, Cruz, yeah, the Cejudo fight was at flyweight. So we're talking about a guy who only has three total losses at bantamweight, one of which he avenged, uh, sorry, two of which were split, one of which he avenged, uh, and who was the champion, the, the clear champion, when he was, you know, when he was stripped of the belt. Uh... Yeah, so if Sandhagen beats him, big accomplishment, and there would be no debate whatsoever about who should be next. Absolutely none. He would have next, and be that Peter Yan or Aljamain Sterling, and at this point I tend to think Yan's going to win that belt back. Uh, I favored Yan the first time. Everything in the fight, the way it played out, made me made me confident in that pick, and I have no reason to change it. Still won't be shocked if Sterling is able to find a way to win. Sterling's very, very good. But uh, that fight just was not going Sterling's way. <laughs> not at all. And Jan does that to pretty much everybody, so. Uh, yeah, that's it as far as announcements, I think, as far as the news goes. So let me... Throw to Twitter one more time, see if anything broke while we've been recording. If not, uh, we'll go ahead and get into plugs and get out of here. All right, does not look like anything's broken. On to plugs. I'm going to be busy this week. <laughs> I I do the AEW YouTube show at Dark Elevation now, apparently. Which, if the last show was any indicator, is two hours of pointless squash matches. Uh, with nothing tying them together. So... Yeah, that's going to be a thing, apparently. So you can find my reports for that. Uh, if you're an AEW fan, <laughs> I guess, watch me crap on the product when I think it deserves to be crapped on. Um, Tuesday, there will be a Damn You Hollywood for the recently released Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Wednesday, there will be a TV party for WandaVision, which wrapped up not all that long ago. And I will be participating in both of those, so please do follow my work on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. You can find that the same platform you're listening to this on. Search for the W2M Network. That's W, the number 2M Network. And we're, our stuff is subheaded over there. Or you can just search Damn You Hollywood. My stuff should come up. <laughs> I certainly hope so. I'd hate to unintentionally infringe on anyone else's uh, intellectual property kind of thing. I, I mean that sincerely. I would, gen I would genuinely hate to. So you can find me there. 
Um, let's see, Wednesdays also, I cover MLW Fusion. It's a thing. Fridays, I cover WWE SmackDown and the Wrestling Zone of 411 Mania, so you can find me there. And Saturday, UFC 260. I'm going to be a fairly busy little beaver. Yay me. Alright, that's it for me. We'll be back here next week. We will have a review of UFC 260, all the fallout, and we will preview UFC on ABC2. UFC back on the American Broadcasting Corporation. Insurance Corporation. That event... Oh, good lord. How many fights are on this card? 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13... 15! Why? Why? Just why? No card needs to be 15 fights deep. It just doesn't. The main event for that bout, Darren Till and Marvin Vittori. If Vittori wins... I think he's pretty clearly the guy who should be next for Adesanya. Uh, he's on a pretty good run. He gave Adesanya a very tough fight when they when those two first met. So, a lot on the line for him. I think Adesanya's mentioned he'd like to fight Darren Till. Well, if Vittori wins, you've still got Whitaker. And Whitaker's about to fight Calvin Gastelum, so... Middleweight's weird. I think if Darren Till wins, they might hotshot him up there. Just because it'd be a new matchup, but... Eh. I don't know. Um, let's have a rest of that card look. That is not a deep card. That is really not a deep card. I mean, Jim Miller's fighting, so that's good. But and we'll go into it in more detail next week, of course. So tune in for that, where I see how much of that remains the same. 15 fights is just too many. It's just too many, guys. Please, stop doing that. Stop doing that. But you can find me here next week. News, fights, review, preview, you know the deal. You've already subscribed. You're following the feed. Please, if you haven't, do so now. I thank you very much for that. Until next time, per usual, Robert Winfrey here signing off, reminding you to stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>